morning, Christ community. I'm glad to be with you all this morning via video. Uh, it's a privilege to have this opportunity to, to preach uh, for you all, with you all. Um, I'm excited to see what the Lord will, will show us this morning through his word. And uh, looking forward to getting into it. Open your Bible with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5 is where we are going to be this morning. We're continuing in our series in 1 Timothy. Uh, last week, Pastor Rick covered chapter 4, and this morning we're going to get into chapter 5. Before we do, I just want to kind of recap a little bit of background information. Uh, some of the things that Paul talks about here in chapter 5 might be a little bit confusing, and so I thought it'd be helpful to cover some of the background information um, that's informing what he's talking about here so that we can understand better the details of what he's addressing here in chapter 5. Um, so again, very clearly, this letter is written to Timothy. Uh, in chapter 1 here, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And uh, we see in Acts chapter 16 where Paul actually meets Timothy. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, Luke writes, uh, Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and the disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And it's kind of neat to see uh, throughout Acts and throughout Paul's writings, uh, the relationship between Timothy and Paul develop into a real partnership for ministry. Sometimes we see them working together. Sometimes we see they'll be together in a city and then Paul will leave and he'll leave Timothy there to continue the work. And sometimes we see Paul sending Timothy to a city, uh, somewhere like for this letter, he sends Timothy to the church at the city of Ephesus. And Paul entrusted Timothy and Timothy's abilities enough that he said, okay, there's an issue there. I'm going to send you to go. I don't want, I don't, whatever reason, right? He didn't have the time or didn't have the resources. He was busy over here and he entrusted Timothy to go there. And that's the occasion for this letter of 1 Timothy is Timothy's actually in Ephesus and Paul is sending this letter to him. Uh, Timothy was in Ephesus, but he wasn't a member there. He wasn't one of the elders of the church there. He was there really as a missionary. He was there as a, a gospel worker representing Paul there to the city. Um, and here's, here's the interesting background thing that I really wanted to highlight. We don't know exactly what the problem was that Paul sent Timothy there to address. Um, if you want to do some reading on this idea, it's called the Ephesian, heres the Ephesian heresy. And we don't have, from Scripture, we don't have the details of what the heresy was. Uh, we get glimpses and pieces of it as we read through these letters to Timothy and Titus, um, but there isn't a cohesive picture of what this heresy really was. One commentator says this, whatever were the specific elements of the heresy, it was a different gospel from Paul's gospel. The heresy is contrasted with Paul's gospel and experience and is characterized as opposing the truth. The opponents teach human commandments and ultimately originate from demons as a result of Satan's activity in the church. Many of the positive qualities applied to Timothy and church officers stand in contrast to the negative qualities of the opponents. There is a sense of urgency, especially in 1 Timothy, because the opponents had achieved a considerable level of success. The mere presence of Timothy in Ephesus shows Paul's concern for the situation. And so we see this Ephesian heresy, whatever it was in its full form, it was a really big deal. And it had really affected the church here in Ephesus, so much so that Paul sent Timothy there to address it. 
And so turn back with me to chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. And let's just kind of look at some of the headings of these, of these chapters in light of what this idea of this heresy that's permeated the church. Chapter 1, warning against false teachers. Um, later in chapter 1, Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Chapter 2, how, how we should pray for all people. Um, and side note, this is a terrible method for Bible study, okay? Um, hey, how was church this morning? Oh, the new guy preached and he told us to read the headings of the chapters. Like, no, that's, I want us to see a high-level overview. Ephesian heresy, there's something going wrong in the church. These are the topics that Paul is, is, telling, is telling Timothy to address at the church. Chapter 3, qualifications for overseers and qualifications for deacons. Uh, warnings that people are going to leave the faith. And then chapter 4, let's go, let's say verse 11. Uh, he, Paul ends chapter 4 by saying this, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set for the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's a big charge. That's a big charge that Paul is giving Timothy, and he empowers him there in chapter 4. Command and teach these things. Don't let anybody despise you because of your youth. There's a huge responsibility that Timothy is bearing at the church at Ephesus here. But here in chapter 5, there's a little bit of a shift in tone from Paul. Um, Paul's instructions here in chapter 5 are not just about theological correctness. It's not just about having right doctrine. But he's telling Timothy here in chapter 5 to make sure that people are caring for one another and to make sure that people are loving one another in the church. Okay, so that brings us to chapter 5. Let's read it. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers day and night. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith, the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children and has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Beside that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. 
For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Pray with me really quickly. Father, uh, enlighten, enlighten your word to us, Lord. Uh, give us wisdom. Give us humility as we read. Um, show us your heart for the people we see in this text and help us to honor them as you have us interact with them in the church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So let's go back to the top, chapter 5, verse 1. Paul tells Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Just before this, like we saw just, just a second ago, chapter 4, verse 11, command and teach these things, right? So Paul went from empowering Timothy, who was a younger man, giving him the, the position, and he's telling him, be confident in the work that you're doing. You have this authority. And he turns and he says, but don't rebuke an older man when you need to address something with him, but encourage him as a father. That word rebuke is a really strong word. It almost has like a violent connotation to it. And so you can almost see Paul tempering Timothy's youthful ambition. Um, Timothy has work to do, and Paul wants to make sure that he's doing it gently and lovingly as he's dealing with these older men in the congregation. Uh, older man there, that word older, really just kind of the way the ESV translates it here. Uh, there's no real number for the age of that man. Just Paul separates in, these, in this context older men and younger men. Um, and he says to treat older men as you would a father. Um, later on here also he says treat older women as mothers. There's nothing new there uh, in this idea of treating him as a father. The, the Greek culture of the time would have understood that very clearly. And then also scripture understands that very clearly in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. So there's no real teaching there that Paul is giving Timothy that would have been new or, or shocking to him. But what Paul is emphasizing here to Timothy is that the church is a spiritual family. So he's saying, as you approach these men, honor them as if they were your father. Why? Because we are a spiritual family. And we saw that in chapter 3, verse 14. Paul said, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Paul painting the picture of the body of Christ being a household. And here he's telling Timothy, treat those older men as your fathers with care, with gentleness, not rebuking them harshly. He goes on, uh, encourage, encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. Um, it's pretty, pretty simple, simply read there. Younger men as brothers. Um, it's like, have you ever tried to ask a parent which of their kids is their favorite? You usually don't get a good response, right? That, oh, it's not fair. Or I can't do that. I can't choose favorites. Well, that's a little bit of the idea here. Treat them as a brother. We're all equals, right? We're all children in this family. And so with, when I treat, when I approach, or Timothy, when you approach the younger men, treat them as brothers. Older women as mothers. We saw that same, in the same idea, treating older men as fathers. And younger women as sisters. Again, equals, caring for one another, related to one another. But he adds this at the end of the, young, the address for the younger women, in all purity. This word all, it, 
It is what it sounds like. Absolute, complete, utter purity. And I think there's a twofold understanding for us as we read this letter to Timothy here. Paul is warning Timothy about something specific. We'll see it later in verse 11. That there are some younger women who are being led astray by their own sensual desires. And I think Paul's warning him here. Just be on alert, right? Don't, don't allow yourself to go down a road where your propriety is going to be called into question. But I think for us as readers as well, um, I guess just generally like men of the church and especially leaders of the church, but men of the church, we should treat all of the women in our church with all purity. It, it's a crazy world out there and there's so much antagonism and there's so much there's so many things really to fear um, to a degree for a woman in life you know it's 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 hard I'm choked up for words here the church should be a place where these young women can go and not just the young women the church should be a place where these women can come and be comfortable and feel loved and feel cared for and feel supported And I think Paul is reminding Timothy of that. And I think we need to hear that again, just in these times that our culture is in. Yeah, so much selfishness and self-seeking and all of these things, self-promotion that our culture promotes. And it's just so refreshing in this moment as I'm sitting here, talking to an empty room in a camera, thinking about you all at home. um, How amazing it would be if we can do this that much better, that we would see each other and treat each other in all purity. Um, grant us that, Lord, even now as, as I'm working my way through this. So treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. So we see in these first couple of verses, how do we honor one another as believers? By loving one another like the spiritual family that we are. Point number two in your outline, how does the church honor the widows? Here in verse 3 in chapter 5, Paul takes a turn from general relationships to this really specific idea of widows. And um, he has some really specific directions. And as we get into these directions, again, remember that he's addressing some things that were happening as a result of this heresy in the church at Ephesus. Verse 3, he says, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness in their own household, to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers day and night. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This word widow here, honor the widows. Um, in English, we tend to think it's just a, a woman whose husband has died. Um, the word here is probably a little bit more broad, can be understood a little bit more broadly. Uh, there's no specific reason attached to why they're widows. Death, divorce, abandonment, something like that probably would have fit into this word. Um, but it's really just describing the state of a woman who didn't have any support anywhere else, didn't have a family, didn't have anybody else to support her. Um, And it says that in verse 5. She's truly a widow. She's left all alone. She has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers. And what we're told to do, we're told to honor these widows. 
And we, we'll see, we can see here from the context, uh, some of that is financial, some of that is practical. Um, but I think it's important for us to just recognize that there is a degree of honor that should be shown to the women who have dedicated themselves to the church. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. In Matthew 15, we have an exchange between Jesus and some Pharisees, and they're arguing about the technicalities in the law. Jesus says this to them, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, It is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I, was, what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Their face, or excuse me, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. It's a pretty harsh rebuke coming from Jesus. Um, and I just, I, I read that verse to, to remind us and to show us that the care of the widow has always been something that is close to God's heart. Always. We see it all throughout Scripture. The Old Testament, the New Testament, it's there. The widow, the care of the widow has always been close to the heart of God. And here Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to be sure that the church is honoring God's care for these women. In the midst of all the craziness that's happening in this Ephesian church, don't neglect these widows. Let's continue reading in verse 4. But if a widow has grandchildren, children or grandchildren, let them show godliness to their own household and to make some return for their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Clearly the family has a role here. Um, God has plans. He wants the widows cared for. It could be through the family that he's given them. It could be through the church if they don't have that family. But again, the care of the widow is close to the heart of God. Um, if she has the family, then they should serve her. And the rebuke at the end of the passage here is very strong when he says, uh, if anybody does not care for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. It's a strong rebuke because the culture, the pagan culture, knew how to care for widows, knew how to care for their elderly. How much more should the body know how to care for the widows? And when we don't do that, or when the Ephesians are neglecting to do that, it's bringing shame upon the name of Christ in the church. And so point number two in your outline, how does the church honor the widows? By making sure that they're cared for. By showing them the care and concern that God has for them. And especially right now, I was just thinking as we're doing this technology and Zoom meetings and all of this stuff, now is a great time to make sure that we're reaching out and caring for our widows. They may not even be listening to this sermon because they don't have the technology to, to connect. And so just with your family, look over the names of, of the members of the church and the handout that we handed out. Who are the widows and how can you reach out to them to make sure that we as a church are caring for them? Point number three in your outline, how does the widow honor the church? Verse nine, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. 
These are the character qualities that Paul exemplifies to Timothy as honorable. Ladies, these are the character qualities that you should be striving to model, to become. Uh, Earlier in chapter 3, we saw the character qualities of the leaders of the church, of the men. And Pastor Rick did a great job of reminding us, these are not just qualities for leadership. These are qualities that we should all strive for. And I think here, the same thing applies. We see this list of these godly character qualities of the women. And these are character qualities that all of our women should be striving for. We get here to verse 11, and Paul's instruction takes a really stern turn. He says, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Again, remember, there's something going on in the church here, right? This is not a statement of all time about all young widows for, for eternity. This is, a, this is Paul addressing the specific issues that are happening here. What is he saying? For when their passion draws them away from Christ, they incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Whoever these young widows were, their self-indulgent and self-centered lives um, outweighed their devotion to Christ. And they were milking the church's system, essentially. They were widows, but as the church was providing for them, they were also then going out and living life to fulfill their own desires. Um, Presumably, they were going out and getting remarried to unbelieving men. There's some indications elsewhere in in the letters that kind of uh, might indicate that. And uh, in doing so, they're abandoning their faith. They're literally remarrying non-believers and walking away from the faith. And so here, Paul's using their desire to marry as an example of their selfishness. It's not marriage that's bad here. Uh, Two verses later, he encourages marriage. But what he's saying here is that it's their desire to marry for selfish reasons that is wrong here. It's a picture of wrong motives that'll lead to consequences that'll cause damage to the witness of the church. And so... For these young widows who are not to be enrolled, it's about their witness to the outside world and what that says about the church. And it's about purposefully appropriating resources from the church where they can be used to care for the widows who need to be cared for. He goes on, besides that, they learn to be idlers and they go from house to house saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed from Satan. Whatever it was that was going on here in the church that had permeated the church through this heresy, these women were conducting themselves in these ways. They're idlers, they're going from house to house. That phrase, saying what they should not, it literally is, they're, they're speaking nonsense. As they're going from house to house, they're speaking nonsense. And so his answer to that is instead, I would encourage them to marry and to bear children and to manage their homes, to live upright, godly lives, right? Like these, like these widows we just saw before. For some have already strayed from Satan. And so point number three, how does the widow honor the church? By living a life of service to God and to the church. We saw that in verse 10. If she's brought up children and shown hospitality and washed the feet of the saints, she's cared for the afflicted and she's devoted herself to every good work. This passage is interesting because he's juxtaposing the honorable widows to the dishonorable widows. And the older ones are the honorable ones and the younger ones are the dishonorable ones. And again, it's a specific issue at this church at this time. But I think the principles that we, that we draw from here still apply, right? We, we need to be caring for our widows. 
there is a character, there's a, there's a character quality to godly widows that we should be striving for, that our women should be striving for. And conversely, like Paul is showing, there's, there is a set of character qualities that we should be avoiding as well. And so as we hear Paul's instructions to Timothy here, I pray that we, we heed the warnings and we hear his teaching. So as we wrap up chapter 5, verses 1 through 16 here, I just kind of want to give you a few thoughts um, of how we might process some of this truth here. How might we apply some of these thoughts? Um, I guess the first question, how do you think of community and relationships when it comes to people in the church? Um, as you prepare on Sunday mornings to come here, what are you thinking about? You know, are you thinking about where you're going to sit and if you'll make it on time and where the kids are going to go? Or is your mind set on who I can see to encourage? Who can I reach out to? Is that widow here? Do I notice that she's not here? Um, where is your focus? Is your focus on the structure and the ins and outs of going to church? Or is your heart set on the people and the, the ministry opportunity and the service opportunity that we have when we come together on Sundays? How do you show honor to your spiritual family members? Intentionally, how are you doing that? How are you thinking to do that? Uh, my wife showed me one of these podcasts that she was listening to the other day. It's called the Risen Motherhood Podcast. And in it, a younger co the younger host is interviewing an older, older lady. And the older lady's name is Debbie. And she says this, Okay, Debbie, tell us a little bit of insight of what you did in motherhood that yielded the most fruit. Here was Debbie's response. This is what came to me right away. Because I've seen this carried out in my children's lives, and it brings me such great joy. Early on in our married life, my husband and I shared a mutual desire to have people in the home and to open our home up to share life with people. We started doing that when we were early. We started doing that when we were early married with no children. And we've continued to do that. Sharing a meal or an overnight or whatever might happen meant that our children sometimes had to share their space. To share around the table, to share their toys. And we all had to be vulnerable to the messiness that comes with having others in your life. It really does thrill my heart to see each and every one of them involved in hospitality in their own way with whatever God has blessed them with, some great and some small. But they love people and they're involved with people. Here's the statement that really stood out to me. I used to say and still say that there are only two things that will be with you in eternity. The word of God and people. So I want to invest my time well on earth in those two things. Because if I'm going to spend eternity with them, I should get used to how to do that. That is a great perspective to have. And so my question to you is, is this how you are thinking about the people that you are involved with at church? The word of God will continue and people will continue. Are you being intentional and caring and showing honor to your brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and widows here in the church? Younger people, who can you serve in the church? Do you know who the widows are? Do you know who the grandmas are amongst us that are raising their grandkids? And older saints, 
Who are the younger people in the church that you can come alongside and model godliness to? Who are the, do you see them? Do you see them wandering off? They need you to grab them by the ear and give them a little bit of your insight and wisdom and care because you've walked with the Lord. You have the experience to share. Are you sharing that with the body? As we've been apart, um, I have felt like my, my desire to be here with you all together has grown a lot. Um, I hope that's what you're finding true for yourself as well. What is the saying? The absent ma- absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? I'm finding it to be true uh, in my life right now. Um, and I think it's kind of twofold. I miss seeing specific people. There are specific people who have just, they stand out of my mind. They see me on Sundays. They greet me. They give me a hug. They say hello. And I miss that. I'm missing that. But I'm also missing just gathering with the church, the capital C church, um, being part of the body, meeting together, singing songs, being here with one another. I miss that. And streaming is fine, but it's just, it's not the same. It doesn't, it doesn't replace it. Um, and I think just small things. I, I think I'm, I'm realizing that I was taking for granted having the opportunity to hear someone tell me about their week while we were just getting a cup of coffee, you know, even for them to just share that they're struggling and work was hard this week. Um, I was able to take that and kind of log it in my mind and pray for them throughout the week just because we shared 30-second conversation over a cup of coffee. And I'm missing that now, and I'm realizing that I'm missing that now. And as I was studying this this section of chapter 5 here, I was just thinking a lot of that, we would do really well to just recognize as we come back together. How are we going to show honor to one another? How are we going to be concerned for one another? How are we going to care for one another? Um, I pray that when we do come back together, it'll be more purposeful for us than it has been in the past. Um, I pray that we'll think about showing honor to one another because we're all one family in Christ. Um, That is my hope. That is my prayer for us as we close here, that we would see Paul's instructions to Timothy here for caring for the body and that we would let that stir in us a love, a growing love for one another so that when we do get back together, it's tangible and it's real and it's sustainable and it's something that will change the face of this church. That is my prayer, that the relationships that we come back with will be stronger and will be different because of the time that we've been apart And because of truths like this, that we would learn to honor one another. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the instruction that you give here through Paul to Timothy. Uh, Grant us humility, Lord. Grant us a learner's heart and a learning spirit that we would desire to love one another more, that we would desire to honor one another better that we would show the world a family that belongs to you, a family that cannot be found elsewhere. It's only in you, and it's only because of you. Help us to love one another as siblings and as parents and as children, Lord, that we would be true to your name, that we would represent you well, and that you would 
be honored and glorified by our actions and our words. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.